Hello, and we are back with another episode of AHP's Off the Record. My name is Enna. And my name is Jo. And we are steadily making our way through our lovely AHP professions, aren't we, Jo? We are. It seems crazy. I can't believe how many podcasts we've done so far, and it feels like everything is going really quickly. But we've had some really amazing guests. So thank you so much to everyone so far for tuning in. Yeah, we really, really appreciate it. And actually today we are joined by the lovely Felicity Devereaux and we are jumping a little bit deeper into the world of podiatry. So Felicity, do you mind just introducing yourself to everyone, please? Yes. Hello. Um, As you said, my name is Felicity Devereaux. Um, I'm a podiatrist and have been for six years now. Um, So I'm currently working South London and I have been since I've qualified. I've got a split post role at the moment, so I'm also doing um, a project uh, to do with AHP preceptorship, which is super exciting. Amazing. Awesome. Um, So at this point, what we usually do is give a bit of information about the profession that we are uh, interviewing. So today it's my turn to have a go at talking about podiatry. So here we go. Podiatrists are healthcare professionals who are trained to assess, diagnose and treat abnormal conditions of the feet and lower limbs and provide both long-term and acute specialist care, including emergency care, for a wide range of patients with a huge variety of conditions. This does include patients with um, commonly known foot issues, such as ingrown toenails or bunions, but it also includes patients in high-risk categories, for example, patients with diabetes or problems with the blood flow or nerve supply to their feet and legs, which can lead to associated issues or problems like ulcers. Podiatrists prevent and correct deformity, keep people mobile, active and out of hospital, and relieve pain and treat wounds and infections. How does that sound? Amazing! Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely touched on... Um, the emphasis on the high risk patients and the um you know our high caseload of diabetic patients and ulcerations yeah definitely i think that was one of the huge things that came up with our our appreciation post about podiatry i think so many people don't know the the massive role that podiatrists play in in sort of um avoidable admission prevention um you know keeping people at home and safe and and treating sort of you know, real medical emergencies um, and trying to keep people out of hospital. I think I didn't, I didn't really know a huge amount about that. So, and then yeah, a lot. definitely. I think uh, a lot of people, when they think about podiatry, they initially don't have a clue what it is. A lot of people say, a "Dietitian," or they said, "You work? Oh, you work with kids?" Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know, once you say what your profession is, they'll come back with, "Oh, so you must have a foot fetish." Uh, so, oh no! Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's in my clinic probably at least twice a week. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I had a foot, had a foot oh. fetish, um, I think it'd be quite wrong that I was in the, the career that I'm in. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. So initially, people don't have a clue what podiatry is, um, and then if you say chiropody. Um, people usually associate chiropody with you know trimming toenails or um, corns or callus which it is part of our role but it's a very very small part of our role um, so yeah we are mostly in the NHS it's it's we are treating the high-risk patients the ulcers um, and preventing amputation amazing so we get started with the questions yes that's a good little summary to start <laughs> off with though love that <laughs> 
how did you get into podiatry, Christy? Okay, so this is um, quite an interesting story, actually. Um, so my mum's a physio. Um, ah. Yeah, I come from a, a bit of an AHP family. My cousin's an OT and my mum's physio. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so initially, I actually applied to do physio. Um, and on clearing day, it was like, well when you get your grades it was like the worst day of my life and I didn't get the grades to get into physio because it's really competitive um so yeah I was like it's the end of the world like I was distraught like I was like what am I gonna do and then um obviously my mum was like, like right let's let's think of you know what you can go into and then maybe you can do like a master's conversion course um into physiotherapy uh so then we looked at the different professions and she worked closely with a podiatrist she's like what about podiatry and I was like yeah yeah I was like anything like I just really want to get into healthcare. uh really didn't want to go to university and study like a subject and come out of uni and not have a clue what I'd do with it um so yeah I got some work experience with um some podiatrists that my mum knew in the NHS uh, spent a couple of days in podiatrist and I really enjoyed it and then I went into podiatry through clearing and I haven't turned back since I've absolutely loved oh. it and um, haven't done that conversion course um, because I feel like it kind of happened for a reason and I feel like I was meant to be a podiatrist as soppy as it sounds um, I do believe in you know everything happens for a reason yeah, I'm definitely in that same that same mindset. Yeah. And with the work experience that you did, like, what did you see on your work experience that really like drew you towards podiatry? Um, I think it was because I literally had no clue either what what podiatrists do. Um, it was actually just finding out. Like, I I observed like a high risk clinic, um, and just seeing what they actually do and being like, well, you know, it's it's not just trimming toenails. It's not just cause and callus it's um you know you're really making a massive impact and I loved how sort of hands-on it was um you know the wound care side of things you know um the, the dressings the debridement and loads of different sort of skills that you learn um so yeah I just really enjoyed all the sort of diff- different aspects of what I saw and how long was the work experience was it just a was it a couple of days yeah just a couple of days two three days um, and because I was just so desperate to get into healthcare, I was like, yes, yes, I'll just, like, I'll go into this. And I really loved the lecturers that I spoke to on the phone when um, going through clearing. They're all so lovely. Um, so, yeah, I, then I was just sold. How did you find your um, your first experiences of, for example, seeing wounds or seeing debridement? I know um, the first time I went to intensive care on a, on a physio placement, I was definitely not prepared for what I was going to see and it's the first time I've ever fainted and it was on the floor in the middle of intensive care with so many people around and I was so <laughs> embarrassed <laughs> so how did you find sort of seeing the sort of things that you see quite regularly now for the first time oh, gosh I mean you definitely um remember the first time because uh, it's the smell I think initially it's, it's that's what really gets you um but I I've always had a really strong stomach and um I've always liked like 
blood and gore in food and in films I know that I know that sounds weird <laughs> in food <laughs> in films um I know that sounds weird but like I've always you know I've not really minded blood and I I'm, I wasn't really ever um you know affected by that sort of thing like my brothers used to faint if they saw blood and stuff like that and I was always just like eh. um so I just I guess I just got I just got stuck in and I just really enjoyed like the fact that you could see it as well like it wasn't like a with sort of MSK side of things of podiatry it's more problem solving and trial and error um but with um like wound care so you see it and you can see the problem um so yeah I just I just kind of got stuck in and I like that sort of thing as well is that like a top tip for anyone who potentially wants to be a podiatrist like need a strong stomach yes. and you've touched on it a bit but what is your your current job role I know you've spoken about doing a split role but it'd be good to know sort of how you got into your role um what you do within your specialism yeah so my specific role um I wanted to work in London um so obviously I applied for jobs in London. It took me a while to get my first job, actually. Um, I think it was, mine was about my fourth interview or something. So just keep going. If you, if you don't get your first one, you will get there eventually. Mm. Um, but I landed <laughs> in like a community team uh, and we specialise in high risk, the high risk foot. Um, and within like our trust, we have different areas for different specialisms. So you have your MSK team and you also have your nail surgery team and we've got the podiatric surgery team. Um, so we're all different um, services, but I um, I was in the high risk team. Um, so, yeah, I just I wanted a community role as well. Um, I really enjoyed sort of home visits and going to see patients in their own homes as well. Um, and then. Obviously, I'm at this trust and I have been for six years and I've just um, gradually worked my way up in the trust. Um, so when positions come up, I sort of apply for them. So now I am one of the leads in the team uh, specialising in community wound care. Uh, so we do community clinics and we also go out to patients home and treat, you know, the high risk of it. And do you do you prescribe medication? Do you um, sort of do minor um, minor sort of surgical interventions at home, or what sort of thing are you doing? So in the homes, where uh, majority of our patients are, they've either got like a pressure sore, a pressure ulcer. So we do a lot of joint work with district nursing. Um, so you know we'll see bed bound patients that's got you know quite nasty ulcers to their feet because they're bed bound so you know their mobility is not great um we don't prescribe um you know you can do the the independent prescribing course if that's you know something that you wanted to go down but technically debridement is um minor surgery so you know yeah. we'll go into patients home and we will we will debride their ulcers in their homes because you know they can't some of them can't even get out of bed so we you know sometimes perform minor surgery within um, patients homes so that's quite intense isn't it because actually you're not in the safe like I say the safety of the hospital but I guess you have everyone around you if any kind of emergencies happen you have people to call on almost immediately but actually and your setup is is a clinical setup but at home 
in someone's house um they could have anything i mean having done some placements in community and going into people's houses i mean you don't know what you're going to find or <laughs> you don't know what you're going to see and we weren't doing um we were doing mostly like mobility assessments and like equipment provision, but actually doing a minor, um, a minor surgery in someone's home. I mean, that must be oh yeah, pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah, um, it's definitely. I remember when I used to first go out, and I was like, "This is so daunting." Like, uh, like you said, like you know, some of our patients they can bleed really easily as well, and you're just like one little nip, and you know the patient could be bleeding, and then and then what? Um, so it's just. I guess being prepared for those scenarios so um if anything like that did happen um knowing you know what to do but yeah it's definitely especially when you're newly qualified it is a really sort of daunting experience and actually that goes quite nicely with the next bit that I'm going to ask you about because obviously so we saw Felicity this weekend um in terms of she was talking on the health um careers um, live event um and you mentioned felicity about your role in preceptorship and actually that is like supporting newly qualified staff and helping them develop their their initial skills and getting settled into their new roles which can be quite scary do you mind telling us a little bit about that yeah so i got into this role because when i was full-time in um, the community podiatry team i was the clinical lead for students so i organized their placements and I was the you know the, the educator and um, so I was really interested in development and education and like support um, so this role came up as a secondment and I thought oh, you know you just look at something you're like I feel like this job like I, it's like kind of like made for me and I'd love it and I'd really like you know really really enjoy it so applied for it and luckily I was successful um so preceptorship basically like you said it it's that and that that first year of um after you've qualified it's it's providing AHPs we're an AHP only program which is also really great um so we sort of tailor our CPD and we tailor um our sessions to AHPs um and we're linking our our programs pan London, so we're linking all the newly qualified AHPs um, across London. So we're also creating like a community. We're providing that extra support, that extra guidance during their first year of qualifying, because that is such a daunting time. And I feel like um, you know you're not prepared. You're not prepared for it as a student, and there's you know, there's not much you can really do as a student to prepare for it because. It's like when you're, uh, I always say this, it's like when you learn how to drive a car. You don't know how to drive a car until you actually pass your test. You know how to drive it safely, but you don't really know, learn until you've, you know, you're on the road by yourself. Um, so that's kind of the same with preceptorship um, and being newly qualified. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're learning every single day and we're just there to provide the extra support, extra guidance um in their first year so is this AHPs from different professions who are all on the same program and have sort of peer support um interdisciplinary yeah, as so well we currently only cover five um AHP groups that's dietitians physios podiatrists speech and language therapists and occupational therapists that's only because mm-hmm. uh the 
they're the AHP groups within the trust that I work in. But we are looking to extend that. We want to extend it to all 14. Um, so with that, we have like generic competencies that all relate to the HCPC. So that's what's linking us all. Um, yeah. That's really good because okay. I think we didn't have that. I had it sort of briefly. Um, I started because um, I started my, my first job in one trust and then moved to another trust after about eight months. So I did a little bit of it in the first trust, but it was sort of started about three or four months in anyway. And then there wasn't really any structure to it or um, much guidance. It was sort of, yeah, it, it was all a bit of an unclear program. I think they have started doing it more in the trust that I'm working in at the moment now because I've definitely heard of it sort of, um, heard of the preceptorship word sort of going around. Um, but I think it's such a such a valuable Thing to do and it gives you a, as you said a clear structure of of um objectives and things that you that you want to be able to achieve to guide your cpd when you're when you're first working out how to do yeah, it Yeah, definitely and i think preceptorship the term is it's really well known within nursing and i think ahps are really behind on that i know occupational therapy they're they've got their um their professional body have set up this amazing preceptorship program for occupational therapists but uh, this is obviously for all well the five HP groups currently, um, but it it's a real really nice way to link everyone together, learn about each other's roles, um, and also knowing that there's so many people out there that are going through the same thing, the same worries, the same anxieties. Um, so yeah, I think even when I think I mentioned it when we were doing the three fives for. Um, for the first podcast that like Joe and I did and I think I was saying how I didn't really know where I wanted to, where I was going in five years time when I first qualified I was just making sure that I just didn't hurt anyone like it was that kind of that sudden responsibility of going from being a student having everything countersigned for you and not necessarily having that um you're not making the decisions really you're there to learn and then all of a sudden being thrust into a position where what you say goes and this could really affect somebody's life and yeah I think I bet that must come up quite a lot when you're discussing that with your with your newly qualified yeah, PhDs. yeah definitely um it is that you're so nurtured at university aren't you um you're so guided mm -hmm. and then you're literally just thrown into thrown into the deep end and you, here you go here's your caseload off you go um so so yeah it, it is I I didn't have it either when I first started and I think um it is vital for when you first start because I know there's some statistic like the first two years um is vital to you know support and nurture your staff because if you don't there's the highest like dropout rate of even the specialism so they'll leave their whole profession if they don't feel you know supported or guided and they're like oh I've made such a massive mistake I'm just gonna quit and then you've lost them so yeah particularly in in the context of of everything that's been going on at the moment with the pandemic and and people who were I think we've we've touched on this before and but people who were sort of qualifying into our professions and starting their career in the midst of a global pandemic where everything is completely turned upside down. No one really, you know, even those of us who've been qualified for a while didn't have a clue what was going on and, and how things were going to, to progress and how our jobs were going to be changed. So I think 
it must be you know super important for people who've been been qualifying during this time to, to have that perception yeah because um when obviously coronavirus sort of kicked off we did have a chat um with our project lead and she was like oh you know because obviously redeployment and stuff and projects could be put on hold um but our project lead was so passionate she was like no like this is the time more than ever that you we need to be support, supporting newly qualified staff there's no way that we're going to be stopping this project she was like we're going virtual um we're going to connect everyone pan london and we're going to create a safe place for um you know protected time for cpd protected time for their development protected time to network and you know just check in with other people and just know that they're going through the same worries and problems and that leads quite nicely on to the next um, section. So obviously, we would really like to know how your role and how your job has changed um, with regards to the pandemic. And yeah, maybe just touch on a little bit of terms of podiatry's involvement with everything that's been going on, really. Yeah, so um, despite some recent news articles um, stating that uh, <laughs> some AHP groups have been twiddling their thumbs, um <laughs> the outrage. <laughs> uh, we definitely were not twiddling our thumbs during COVID. Um, you know, we as most AHP services were classed as essential service and you know, if their service maybe was um changed like they were redeployed into teams that were essential. So um, you know, as we treat the high risk foot we're treating active ulcers we're treating infection we're treating bone infections um we did not close um we still continued to see patients um what changed slightly was we actually because we are a community team um we saw a majority of our patients at home so you know patients that are shielding which are the majority of our patients were petrified to leave their homes um so we were able to see them in their own home um, and we may have been the only person that they saw that week. Um, so that's how sort of we changed our service. We saw people at home and we work closely with the MDT vascular consultants within the hospital. Um, and they they weren't sort of letting anyone into the hospital because it was so high risk. So we obviously doing really high risk treatment within patients homes and um, having virtual consultations with the um, vascular consultants um, you know with their own home so so you know we were vital during COVID because we may not have been working on the wards but we were keeping people out of the wards because um, it was such a hot spot for COVID we you know we had to make sure that they weren't going into those hospital settings. Exactly. As you said, all like all of your patients will be so high risk and so vulnerable. If they, you know, their wounds get infected to the point that they can't be managed at home and they set foot in the hospital, then they are going to be mm -hmm. so at risk. And I think what a lot of people don't seem to understand is that a huge part of, of managing this pandemic and particularly in the massive peak of it was trying to make sure that we had enough hospital beds for all of those people who needed it, for those people who who needed to be in an acute hospital, either because they had coronavirus or they had some other illness. So the community teams have been absolutely crucial in trying to keep as many people safe at home as possible, both to keep those patients safe and protect them, and also 
to um, keep as many beds available for, for people who do need to come in. Yeah, and um, I've got some stats, actually, that I wanted to share. Um... <laughs> Go on. Please do. <laughs> let's, get, let's get the stats out there for all those haters. Get the stats out. <laughs> so, so, I don't know if you knew, but the five-year mortality rate after a major amputation is 50%. Um, and if you compare wow. that to breast cancer, which is 8%. And I don't, yeah, I don't wow. think many people realise that or know that. Like, um, diabetes is a kind of a pandemic in itself. Like, um, you know, they call it the silent, yeah. you know, disease because diabetes, it's not necessarily painful. Um, they're not aware of it so they kind of just brush it off and they're like, oh you know it, it doesn't matter like I'm I'm on these meds it, it'll be fine um, but you know that's when they sort of run into complications so yeah so having worked on a um, I did a vascular and amputees rotation um, and worked with the podiatrist on that ward and I was always just like so in awe in terms of the work that they did with the patients that had had recent amputations and the close monitoring that they required because things can turn so quickly Um, and it it really shocked me how literally one minute someone's wound could be okay and healing quite well and then um, it could change like that and that could be like a matter of life and death and as you said you guys were stopping preventing these um patients the high-risk patients for coming in because actually if there's a 50 percent potential mortality rate for these patients it's like sometimes actually the hospital really isn't the best place for them to be with a pan with a pandemic and a virus going around that we weren't able to necessarily control that well so that's yeah amazing yeah and also um if you're thinking about the cost as well um the cost for you know diabetic foot care um is more um than a combined cost of breast prostate and lung cancers so this is usually due to the prolonged um and chronic ulcerations uh so they can have ulcerations for two years plus um so if you just think about the cost of that um, and then obviously the risk of infection, amputation, and then obviously with that stat, if a, if they have an amputation, you know, it's 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 quite scary. And in terms of saying, a podiatrist um, on the risk register at the moment as well. So um, you know, we need to get more podiatrists into role in, into position because um, you know we are there to prevent um, patients getting these ulcerations. So. Um, yeah we need to get more podiatrists trained <laughs> how did you find and you've mentioned that you're sort of team lead in your community team um and also being in the preceptorship role and sort of having having responsibility to support to support lots of people um did you have any sort of um particular personal coping strategies to to manage both yourself and also the staff that you were looking after um, yeah so um i turned to twitter um twitter was an amazing place um for for support uh, and i found through twitter i found um leadership support circles so um i don't know if you've heard of heard of those it was available free for any leaders um of teams in the nhs and they were sort of virtual sessions where you'd be discussing how you're coping how you're feeling and sort of strategies um within different teams and they gave really good resources so 
Um, I did a couple of those sessions, which were which were great. It was really beneficial. Um, webinars as well, NHS Horizons. Um, uh, they're all about sort of caring for NHS people. They have been amazing. Um, and I, I link those in with our preceptorship um, meetings as well. Um, so, you know, our preceptees, we focus heavily on well-being. Um, and I guess it's just, I, I just didn't watch the news. I just couldn't deal with the negative news and doom and gloom. So I really restricted that and um, just made sure that, you know, I really had a good work-life balance switching off. You know, all the usual, like, exercising, making sure I was eating well and practising what I was preaching because I was, you know, giving all of this well-being advice to the preceptees and in the preceptorship programme. So I was like, I need to I need to make sure I also follow my own advice. <laughs> yeah. It's quite hard to do that it sometimes, is, I think. Is, yeah. I actually find it quite interesting that I think that was a... Um, a widespread thing around healthcare in terms of just not paying attention to the news. I think during that time, I think a lot of us were yeah. in our own little bubble, our healthcare bubble of working because it was so intense. Um, the only people that really understood what you were going through are the people that you were working with or who also were working in the hospitals. Um, so actually, yeah, looking at the news just always seemed like yeah, a bad thing definitely. to do. <laughs> and obviously just um, your team was everything really, wasn't it? So just having that offloading to the team and um, yeah, just having that support as well. Did you get the extra treats as well? Treats, yes, treats were nice. Yes, yeah, and all the um, discounts and all of that. that. That was definitely a positive, wasn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. I enjoyed that time. <laughs> so shall we move on to our recurring theme the three five yeah let's do it so um when you qualified i know you originally were before starting podiatry thinking about being physio but when you qualified in podiatry where did you see yourself in five years time i i was kind of similar to what um you guys are saying just um I just kind of wanted to get through it um but initially I guess I was thinking about maybe having half NHS half working in private practice um but since you know going into the NHS I just haven't looked back and I I just haven't really been interested in working in private practice um I've loved the buzz of the NHS and the teamwork I, I feel like I'd feel quite isolated if I was in private practice and yeah I don't know I just have a real soft spot for the NHS you know when you have like feel a loyalty towards it um so yeah I thought I was going to be doing half and half but no I'm NHS through and through there's actually something that we haven't touched on in terms of the fact that podiatrists yeah. do work in private like yeah, yeah, is that yeah. really common like some people um they sort of study podiatry just to come out and want to just do private. Um, there is a lot of um, opportunities within private practice. And because the NHS are sort of cutting down on sort of the more the nail care side of things, they're then going to, to private practices, which is also great. You know, if, if that's something that interests you, then there's loads of opportunities within private practice as well. I kind of feel the same. I've I've had people sort of saying to me, oh, you know, why don't you just 
open a private clinic or do some private work on the side and I think no, I, no. I just really don't want to <laughs> I love I love the NHS I think the same I, I feel this this community thing and and you know you see someone on on the bus who's got an NHS you know you can see under their coat that they've got an NHS lanyard around their neck and you think oh hi you know it just you feel like you've automatically yeah. got that connection with people and that you're you know you're coming from a similar um a similar sort of background a similar attitude I don't know I, I love I love that Definitely. that community feel I think also actually just like setting up your own practice isn't easy no. <laughs> I actually think it, it's my, it like if I were to switch off because like if you take a day off you'd be like oh oh no like I'm I'm not getting money on this day like you know you've got the benefits of the NHS you get your annual leave um and also you get your sick pay so um yeah definitely more of an NHS gal <laughs> and if you weren't working um in your current role on the team that you're in what other area would you like to work in I don't I guess I um <laughs> always liked working with students and teaching so maybe going into more um into the universities um but in terms of like my clinical work, I think I've just I've just really loved wound care. Um, so I just can't really see myself doing anything else. <laughs> You're hooked. Really nice. I'm hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got you in there. It's just like I do love that though. I think that's something that from doing these podcasts we've noticed is that everyone just really enjoys what they do. And even if they didn't necessarily expect themselves to go into the profession that they're in, once they're in there, they're just like, nah, this is this is a bit of me. This is what I was like, this is what I was called to do. Yeah, so I think that's really nice. Sure, I'm really enjoying my split post role as well. Um, so obviously having that clinical work, but then also having more of a leadership role um and supporting others that aren't just podiatrists as well I'm loving sort of like you guys doing you're doing amazing work trying to link you know the AHPs and connect us all um you know I, I really you know recommend if you can you know having a split post role as well because there's so many different opportunities and podiatry is such a small world when I was doing it um for the five years and then when I started doing this role like I was like oh my god like I didn't realize like all of these different things and you just learn so much um so yeah definitely enjoy my split post and how about five things you didn't necessarily know about podiatry before you started studying um, so I guess I didn't know how much the feet can be affected by the whole body um so you know there's certain conditions like we touched on diabetes but there's also so many different conditions that can affect the feet um so you know arthritis rheumatoid arthritis um and you know all those sort of msk conditions can really affect the feet and yeah i guess it's just yeah i just didn't realize how i think when you're functioning fine and your feet are fine i think you only really notice your feet when something goes wrong. Um, so, um, mm. so yeah, it's, it's definitely realizing um, that so many different things can affect, you know, um, yeah, your, your, your general foot condition. And then 
I guess the second one is it's not just cutting toenails. Um, like like most people think, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is oh, I get it from patients sometimes. Oh, so you studied for three years just to cut toenails? Oh, and I was like, I, was, I think back to my um, at university, and I think the like formal um, session on how to cut toenails was probably about ten minutes. Like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Um, so yeah, not just cutting toenails. Um, how we can improve um, patients' quality of life in just one appointment because um, they can come in, yeah. you know, they can have you know really painful ingrown toenail or something, um, or you know really painful wound. Um, you can obviously treat and assess it in that one appointment, and they can walk out. Um, you know, they sometimes walk out and feel like, oh, I feel, I feel like I'm walking on air, like um that's always a nice comment um so yeah just one appointment you can yeah. make a, a huge difference um and I guess which is the same for most therapists how diverse it is um and how many different professions you get to work with um and different areas you can go down so again nail surgery podiatric surgery you can become a surgeon after um qualifying to be a podiatrist obviously that's a lot more study um You've got the MSK side of things, so making orthotics, like working closely with you know physiotherapists and um, orthopedics, and then again where I'm sort of sitting is the wound care side of things, so the high risk foot and preventing amputation. And I guess the last one is just I guess the opportunities. Um, so it's given me so many different opportunities, and um, it's having that um, appreciate like the job satisfaction. Um, you, you know you walk out every day and you're like I'm I've at least or you'd hope you know improve the quality of life of at least one person that day so amazing and I think we've kind of touched on it um there with the the things that you've sort of learned about your profession as you go um but the other thing we ask is is um five things that you enjoy or love about um, your job so I like how unique it is um, and I love that it's a small world and a really small profession. Um, obviously, we need more podiatrists, but um... <laughs> I was just about to say, I was like, <laughs> yeah, we, we need more. You want more, though? Um, yeah, you'll speak to someone and they link to someone else, and you're like, it's this like everyone sort of knows everyone. Um, and I do like, like, when you say that you're a podiatrist, you know, people are really really interested and they like want to find out more because you know a lot of people don't know about podiatry so I do sort of like how unique it is um I said you can make a difference in just one appointment you know great job satisfaction uh, learn every single day um, learn something new you're an autonomous practitioner so with podiatry especially in the community there is a lot of lone working so you kind of are like your own boss mm. that day um obviously you do have your line manager and stuff but you're making decisions um there and then um if you're alone working so you are definitely in terms of practitioner and I guess team working and networking with different professions is what I really enjoy and I think again we've talked about obviously your work with like students or like with um newly qualified AHPs and in terms of anyone who is thinking of becoming a podiatrist, 
what would you recommend or like what is your your top tips (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like it it. and I um I originally when I first went into I I was kind of like oh a bit embarrassed like oh people think oh I'm just looking at feet sort of thing um and you know the generic um oh you know uh, it's like that's, that's such a gross job but don't be embarrassed like I shouldn't have I shouldn't have been um embarrassed in my profession um and I always say as well um imagine a life not having feet you know we wouldn't be able to walk so it's it's hugely important and that's why there's a, a profession specifically just for feet um so I guess it's just getting um work experience and observing I know pretty much all the podiatrists I know they're so keen to encourage uh, more students to look at podiatry everyone wants to you know give you some work experience but everyone's more than happy to um you know show a bit of shadowing um, and if you like a bit of blood and gore as well definitely recommend podiatry <laughs> <laughs> is there quite a lot of media at the moment in terms of like just like resources for prospective podiatrist uh, I know you recommended Twitter and Twitter is a great source for information um is there other like other places that they Obviously can look the for College information of Dietary, um, has a website so looking on there um there's um obviously the wow show if you yes that's obviously highlighting all the ahp um professions um and yeah i guess it's just link also just linking in with your local trust um and just getting to know them and just seeing whether they'd be happy for you to you know shadow for the day um or just you know getting to know a little bit more about their role Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Felicity. It's been really lovely to meet you and hear about your role and all the exciting stuff you're doing, Um, and particularly on the back of that horrendous article. It's been so nice to have a lovely (laughs) AHP appreciation chat and talk about how wonderful we all are. So thank you so much. I hope it was interesting. Um, And I hope we encourage more students (laughs) to look in podiatry as well. And that's the end of episode seven. Thank you so much for listening. We have some great guests coming up over the next couple of months. If you don't already, then please follow us on our social media platforms. Or if you want to find out more about Felicity and more about podiatry, then we've added all of our social media links into our episode description. Bye for now.